If you want to hear pieces of my story that you have never heard before, I've never shared publicly, this is the episode for you. This is the one to listen to. I recently got to get interviewed for the Courage Queen podcast, which is hosted by my great friend, Justine Wenzel. Her message is phenomenal. It's another podcast that I would recommend to you wholeheartedly, but I was honored to get to be on her show. And this interview that you get to hear today is actually Justine interviewing me about my story and my journey to just getting to know myself better so I could heal and so I could work from and live from this place of freedom and truly knowing how God designed me and being better able to understand that. So this conversation was so fun. Justine is a friend that I've actually gotten the honor to meet with in person. We got to have lunch a couple months ago together down on the Las Vegas Strip of all places, but she is an amazing friend. She's an expecting mom for the first time, so she's got a great perspective, and she's a business owner. She owns multiple businesses with her husband, so she's got a really cool background, and she's got a really cool story herself. I'm sure I'll have her on the podcast sometime soon to share it because her story and what has led to with her becoming a mom and her whole perspective is just a beautiful thing that I personally haven't experienced. And so I'm sure there's moms out there that would relate to it. So I think it'll be a great story for you to get to hear. But again, today, you get to hear my conversation with her on her podcast. And we talk a lot about mindset, about limiting beliefs, about how important growth mindset is and compared to having a fixed mindset, and a lot about how stuff that happened in the past affects how we function day to day as humans right now and tying it all in with how God intends for us to live, what he wants for our lives, what he knows about us. Um, If you know me or follow me, I am a Christian. So a lot of our conversation does tie back to the Lord. And so this is just so fun that I get to share this conversation here on the Tough Love Mom podcast. So go ahead, get ready to be encouraged, spurred on and Honestly, this is the most vulnerable I have been on a podcast interview before, but again, it's because it's with Justine, who's a great friend, and I'm really excited that you get to know me on a deeper level, that you get to hear my heart from a very raw, open place, and let's just get into it because it's a great conversation, and I'm excited to bless you with it today. Hey mama, welcome to the Tough Love Mom Podcast. I know you're here because you're ready to get consistent and finally lose that weight and you're not afraid of a little tough love. You know what to do to lose weight, but following through on those things feels impossible. You wish you could just feel like your strong, confident self again and want to be a good example for your little ones, but you get thrown off by mom guilt and the unpredictability of motherhood. It's frustrating. Taking on your journey postpartum is hard, but it's not impossible. Hey, I'm Liz and I've been where you are. I gained a lot of weight in my pregnancies, 90 pounds and then 60 pounds. I needed to lose that weight to take control of my health and honestly just wanted to feel like myself again. With a sustainable approach to weight loss, simple consistency and working on my mindset, I lost it all in just over a year both times and I'm here to help you do the same. I believe that we have an ingrained ability to figure out what we need to do, make it happen and do it in a way that awes the world. If you're ready to stop falling off the wagon, create solid routine and healthy habits, and finally feel your best inside and out, all while enjoying dino nuggets on your salad, you are in the right place. We're about to transform your journey, my friend. Get pumped up. It is tough love time. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Courage Queen podcast. This is your podcast host, Justine Wenzel. And it almost feels weird to like say your entire first name, by the way. I'm like, who is this person? Who does she think she is? No. But you're here listening, and we have another Courage Queens on Fire summer series. I can't even believe that we're in August. It's so crazy to think about. Like, literally, I hate to be one of those people that's like, where did the summer go? But it, it like honestly just flies by, and it's so crazy. We've had some amazing guests come on. I'm really extremely excited for today because my friend Liz Henderson is here. She's like one of my OG people from my mastermind that I was in, um, in my podcast coaching program that I did back in the winter. And so you see all my all my girls from this course are coming on to share their brilliance like all summer because I need every single one of them to like be infiltrated into your minds of like how amazing they are. And this is coming from me, of course, um, not them because they're a lot more humble. I just need you to know how amazing they are. Liz, I actually had the pleasure of meeting in person when I was on a work trip in Vegas with my husband for his work. And it was just so fun to be able to meet and have lunch. And you know, like when you have those conversations where you meet somebody in person, you're like, I feel like I've known this person literally my entire life. Like, I feel like we're just girlfriends. We've known each other. And that's kind of how it was. It just like clicked. And I was like, I could hang out with her like 10,000 more times. And she is in the middle of so many crazy life transitions right now. I can't even tell you. She's a mom. We have coined her. Um, just in general, as the tough love mom, she claims to be a normal next door mom, but literally, I swear she's like a superhero talent person. Okay, let me just explain to you. She's podcast host of the Tough Love Mom podcast, which we're going to get into in a little bit. I cannot wait for our conversation today. Like I said, she's in the middle of transition right now. She's in the process. They just found out they're moving. She's got two littles. She's a wife. She's a business owner. She helps women feel confident in their own skin, transitioning and getting consistent, whether that's with nutrition workouts, there's, you know, mindset specifically. We're really going to dig into some of those topics today. And we're just going to see where the conversation goes in the realm of personal growth and opening yourself up to what some of these tools that you can use that allow you to have more healing and freedom in your life as a business owner. Because as we know, and we talk about all the time, all of these things in your personal life overflow into your professional life, whether you want them to or not. So like what is in the cup and what is spilling out? That's what we need to focus on. So Liz, I, without further ado, I'm like, let me talk for 25 minutes about how amazing you are. I love your hair and it's on you now, girl. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on today. I was funny when you were talking about the cup and what's in it and what overflows. <laughs> this is this is where I'm, I'm very visual. And so I pictured this cup and instead of it being like gently poured into and all the stuff that's going in gently overflows, I'm picturing this cup getting knocked around and just what's splashing <laughs> out. Cause that's what life's like, right? Right. Yeah. You're like trying to hold it in the cup. You're like, nobody hit me. Nobody hit me. You stay over yeah. here. You stay over here. <laughs> yeah. We're like the cup and we're just getting knocked around by life. And so, yeah. you know, what's splashing out, that's what's inside. You, you can't, yeah. you can't, you can't fake what's what's inside. So I just pictured that when you said it made me laugh. <laughs> I love it. It's authentic. I think a lot of people can relate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's you. I really appreciate that intro. That was really kind of you. All those words you said, um, but like Justine said, I'm a very normal person. Like I'm, I've done a lot of things in my life that maybe aren't normal. Um, but it's, it all comes from a place of, I just want to be better. I want to challenge myself. I like doing hard things physically, mentally, which again is not normal, but it's fun. Like it's fun to see what you're actually capable of. A long time ago, I learned this. I think David Goggins is actually the one who came up, who like coined this 
rule, if you would call it that, but it's called the 40% rule. So when you feel like physically you're at max capacity, you cannot do anymore. You can't take another step. You can't do another pull-up. You can't, I can't even do pull-ups, uh, sit up. <laughs> Those are struggle, <laughs> struggle bus for moms. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, um, yeah, I've done like one in my life, I think. Um, but like when you feel like you're at your max capacity, you can't do any more. You're really only at 40% of what you're physically capable of. And I just love that rule because we are capable of so much more, not only physically, but in our business, mentally, emotionally, we're capable of so much more. And I think that's part of I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. So when, you know, God created us, we don't fully even know ourselves because he's the only one that knows us fully. And so when we can tap into those moments where we go a little bit beyond what we thought we were capable of or who we are, or whatnot, we're tapping into more of what God I'm getting chills, more of what he knows about us, more of what he just knows in general. And I think that's so it's just so encouraging. So instead of seeing them as hard and oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this season or this workout or whatever it is. You get to know more of yourself because you're getting to know more of God. And it's like this interwoven thing that I think is so cool. And I was even, I even had that mentality before I became a Christian, but it really ramped up. And I think part of why I'm so drawn to doing hard things, given the tough love is because of what comes from it. So especially in our relationship with the Lord. Oh, never introduced myself like that before, but that makes a lot of sense in my head. I know (laughs) Come on, right now, like, seriously, you guys, this is what I'm talking about. Okay. So like, stay tuned for literally (laughs) your face to be blown up. And I'm not sure why my entire extended family right now is trying to get me to join a zoom call. So let me please (laughs) X out of this. We're just going to hope that everything's fine. So we're going to jump into this. I loved, first of all, I love that intro for so many reasons. And I just wrote down a couple things. I think this is a great place to start. This whole idea of what you believe you're capable of. Okay. So like, let's talk about belief specifically when you've recognized and you're aware of the fact, okay, I'm at a place where I feel like I've hit my wall of what I'm capable of, but then giving yourself that pause in that moment to say, I'm going to open myself up to see what God is trying to teach me. I'm going to open up myself to stretch myself to what I could be capable of and almost like. I have this obsession with like getting curious about everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly what you're saying. Like, I think we have that in common of like, when you say like, I'm just this normal mom, but I do like a lot of abnormal, I'm putting this in quotes, abnormal mom stuff or abnormal stuff for the everyday person, because you really have mentally in your mind, this belief and I, and it's going to drive every single behavior that you have. You have this belief that like, when you come to a block of, I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I can go past this point. You're going to push the envelope to see how much farther you can go because you know the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that you can go so much farther than that. And that when you tap into more of the spiritual realm of saying, okay, God, you know, so much more about me than I know about myself. Help me to see how I can go further and depend on you. Anytime yeah. that we think it's, in our own realm of control of like, this is how much I can contribute. And this is how much I can control, or this is how much that I can do. I think that's like a red flag because it's saying, okay, well, God didn't ask you to do it in your own strength. He's asking you to do it in his. So if you're in that realm where you're like, I can't even see myself accomplishing that goal. I can't see, see myself even going to that place. That probably means that that's where he wants you to go because that means that you're relying on his strength above your own. Yeah. And I wonder if, so back when, I really gave my life to the Lord. I lived lukewarm for a few years there. I came to know Christ in college 
and I was at a top party school at West Virginia university. I was an athlete. So, um, it was a fun time there. It was a fun time Yeah. before I, I became a Christian. Except <laughs> and it was also fun, a fun time <laughs> afterwards. But, yeah. um, the night that I was like, man, I, I have to either live for the Lord or I have to try to rely on my own strength. And the night I had to make that decision, um, it was Memorial day weekend, 2013, 2013, 2014, one of those years, 2013, I believe we will be fact checking this. So make sure yes. it's correct. <laughs> <Fact-checking>. <laughs> um, it was 2013 and, um, cause I got baptized like a month and a half later <laughs> in okay. 2013. So, uh, I got a, we, I went to FCA camp. I was in FCA and I went to FCA camp that summer, um, that weekend, actually it was Memorial day weekend down in St. Simon's Island, Georgia, which is, it's like summer camp for college athletes who love Christ. It was great. It was a great, it was like, you know, spiritual mountaintop type weekend. And I get back to school. It's, um, it's may I get there for summer training and I get a call that night, Memorial day that evening. It is, uh, my dad saying that my mom was in this horrible, um, burn. She had a horrible burn accident where she, the, the gas grill was leaking and she went to light it and this fireball just came out. She was going to a burn unit in a different state. And I had just saw her a few days before. Cause we stopped through on our drive down to stay with them for the night. And, um, it was just this moment of like pit in my stomach. I don't know what to do but all I could hear, all I could was God telling me like, I've got you in this. Cause I couldn't go back home to be with my family. I'm the oldest. So I feel I have a very like nurturing spirit about me. Um, I like to take care of things. I like to have control over situations. And this is one where I had none. I had zero control. I can't help my mom medically. I'm a college kid studying education. I know nothing about medicine. Um, I can't go home because I have to be at school for classes and for training, And I was just like, I have, I have to trust God through all of this. And it was scary. Like it was, I will never forget that night, but I think because Mm. the moment I was like, okay, I do have to fully rely on God. I can't be lukewarm in this walk. It allowed me again to know anytime I feel my situation is rocky. And I've had a lot more rockier moments since then. Um, my mom's fine. She's doing great. She is a rock star, um, by the way, but she healed and everything. And she's doing wonderful right now. Um, she's an amazing grandma, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I've had so many more situations since then that have been just, just like, how would someone get through this? You know, a one and a half year old and a six month old and my husband deploys for six months. He's in the military. You know, literally we find out one day and he leaves the next weekend. Like that's what his last two deployments were like. They were very last minute. I was momming by myself. The first one, I had a, a one-year-old and I was a couple months pregnant. We didn't know when he would be coming home, if he would even be home for the birth and the pandemic hit a couple months in. So it was just to the deployment. So it was just like, I've had a lot of those moments where it's just like, how would someone get through this with optimism? How would someone get through this mm. with hope? And I think it's because the moment I truly had to decide to live for the Lord was a moment of complete, like you said, complete surrender. I had no other option. And so every time I'm faced with that, whether it's a life circumstance or in the middle of a workout, or like this year I did 
the David Goggins, um, four by four by 48 challenge. So you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Call me crazy. I think I'm a little psycho for doing it, but yeah, like I so many <laughs> moments where I was like, I'm just going to break. This is not fun. I'm like physically dying right now, but I've had so many moments, whether physically or life circumstances where I just have to go, this is all God. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And it's cool. Cause we were talking about this before, but when I get to that point and get through it and people are like, wow, like, how are you doing it? How do you do it all? I hate that question. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't do it all. Our house is never clean, but I think it, that question more so comes from how do you get through these things that seem really hard and stay consistent, have a good mindset once like anyone else might crumble. And I think it's truly because I just, and, and it's cool in those moments, I get to point back to God. Like, I don't know. It's God who gets me through. Honestly, like, I don't have another answer for you. I know he's made me capable of more. I know I'm physically capable of a lot. And I know that even though this season's hard, like, I mean, I have so many weak moments where, you know, I'll go reach for a bowl of cereal and cause I don't want to make dinner or I get more frustrated with my kids than I'd want to. Like I have, I have weak moments. I am human, but through those, I have the opportunity to tell myself, like, even though this is really hard right now, my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday, even though the season's hard or I feel purposeless or whatever it is in that season that just seems dire, it seems kind of, you know, just not great. There is something that is going to work out with this. There is something that God is going to work together for long-term his good. Cause he's going to get the glory for it. As long as you're pointing back to him and not yourself. And I think that when you go to rely on yourself in those situations, you can't, I mean, obviously you can't give them the glory because you're pointing back to yourself, but you just don't get through with the same amount of hope and optimism and joy that you could, if you were to just say, it's God getting me through this, like the prayer that comes out of my mouth, the most often right now is like, Lord, just help me get through this day, please help give me the patience that I need for my children <laughs> help give me just the slowness that my mind needs. Cause my mind goes a million miles an hour. I think my voice does too. If I'm talking too fast, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. Like I'm squirrel braining, but it just, I don't know. I think that point where I had to give my life over to Christ, I was the most moment of like, this is the biggest moment of surrender I've ever had ever in my life that it's allowed me to go back to that place time and time again, no matter what the circumstance was causing me to do that. Mm. That's so powerful. I want to point it back to, again, this very specific thing that you said, which was when people ask you, like, how do you do it? Or how do you get through? Like when a lot of people, it seems like they wouldn't have the mental toughness to be able to withstand whether it's a spiritual attack, going back to that belief that you said that like God was always going to get you through it and that his plans are better than your own. And so that's like, that's kind of where you boomerang back to which is why I think like you've just decided that that's how you're going to react. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the power in that alone. What am I going to pre-decide so that when I'm in these situations, where am I boomeranging back to? And what foundation are they set in? Because if they're not super strong when life is easy, they're certainly not going to be strong when, when life starts to get hard and different and those transitions start to happen. You know, we talked a lot as we were, getting onto this call today about some of the personal development tools that you used as you were 
progressing as a business owner, like how you turned your passion into a business, kind of what your story was and how you became like this tough love mom that started this amazing podcast for women to specifically help moms. But I think you do so much more than that because I think it is so mindset focused, which is really what I want to get into today of like, what are those personal development tools that have changed your life that have made the biggest impact? And I'd love to kind of just see where that goes today. Yeah. Well, and mindsets, the, if you don't address any of the mindset stuff going on and you try to fix anything else or change behaviors, change thought patterns, which is ultimately mindset. Like if you're trying to change stuff without addressing what your mindset is, it won't actually stick. Right. (laughs) Like trying to put pieces of paper together without glue. It doesn't work. You have to use glue or tape or double-sided tape. I don't care, but you got to fix the mindset. And it's kind of like, whether you use glue, sorry for the jets, we live on base. <laughs> They're loud today. Whether you use glue or double-sided tape or whatever, something's going to help you start sticking those papers together. I don't know why the heck I'm using that metaphor, but you have to start addressing your mindset somewhere. And for me, a few years ago, it was the Enneagram test. And I was like, oh, when I finally figured out which number I am, it everything in my life started to make more sense because I realized, oh, I'm, I'm wired this way. This is what I'm geared towards in conflict. This is how I'm geared in solving problems. This is what I'm motivated by. And when I finally understood those things and also was able to understand, oh, all of these people around me are different. <laughs> They're not going to think the same way I am. And I'm an Enneagram one. So like I think it's my way or the highway. My way is the best way. That's kind of like (laughs) how I like to think. And I finally could realize, oh, that's just how I think, but it's definitely not how my husband thinks because he's different than I am. It's not how my family thinks. It's not how my kids think. It's not how most of the other people in my life are. And so I can't expect them to be the way that I am. One of the things that I found so interesting about what you said when you were like, oh, I'm like, I'm total Enneagram one. I found that. So what I've noticed, so like I'm an Enneagram seven and I'm so obsessive with not only making everything fun and like as many dopamine hits as freaking possible. We were talking about this a little bit before, but I've always struggled with Enneagram ones because they're like so many of the Enneagram ones that I meet are like so rigid that like there's no flexibility whatsoever. And I feel like I drive them crazy for not being rigid, but then like they literally cannot handle the fact that like they can't catch me to fit me in this box or like, how they, how they want things done. Cause I'm like Fine. so far out of the box that they're just like, yeah, my brain just blew up and I need you to have some semblance of freaking normal function right now. And like, I have none of that. So, so I could cracked up when you said that just kind of dipping into the Enneagram for a second. If you haven't taken that assessment, like I have so many people take that because there's it's so easy to think that all of these assessments are the same. Like my, my husband's, I think I'm pretty sure my husband's either like, I'm pretty sure he's an Enneagram eight, but like, it was hilarious because when I tried to get him to take it, he was like, well, what's the Enneagram type? That's like, screw this. I'm not taking no tests. Like, I don't, I don't need to like change anything. And I was like, uh, and then like, I did, I like typed it into Google just as a joke. And it literally came up and it was like, Enneagram eights will often get violent or like divisive, like they don't, they don't see any problem with why they have to take the test. Like my husband literally does not believe in personality indicator tests, but here's the thing that's different about the Enneagram that I tell people is a lot of tests are supposed to teach you how you see the world, like whether you're more introverted, extroverted, whatever the Enneagram specifically tells you like what your motives are. 
So like we could both want a clean house, which <laughs> now I'm just becoming a comedian. I, yeah, I think it's <laughs> hilarious how I want a clean house because it's literally not even possible. I don't even have kids yet, but we could both theoretically want a clean house, but our motives for wanting a clean house are yeah. drastically different. And so the Enneagram is all about not putting you into a box and using oh, I'm like this. And then it's like an excuse for me to continue acting a particular way or like, oh, these are just my quirk. It's more about knowing and understanding how you were uniquely made. Like they actually say you were born into your Enneagram type and it is like God given in a way, not like officially, but in a way it's like God created you for that specific, with those specific motives and desires in mind. And when you open yourself up to that as a tool, you either move more towards health or it explains why you're in different places when you're moving towards an unhealthy pattern or under stress. And yeah. so it really, same exact thing as you said, we were talking about before. The Enneagram really opened my eyes up to starting to dig into why do I think this way? Why is this my motive? And then it helped me connect all these dots to my past when it came to like me going through my healing process right after that. I really trust that like God led me to that as a tool of self-discovery so that I could start to open myself up to being a little bit more introspective, but then saying, Lord, I have all these feelings, help me connect the dots and make it relevant to how you created me so that I could have more of an understanding of it and be less reliant on my feelings, Mm -hmm. like help them to make sense and validate them, but help me to be less reliant on my feelings and more reliant on the commitment to be obedient to your call. Yeah. Even when I feel inadequate. (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't want us relying on like our feelings are so fickle. He does not want us being guided by what we feel. He wants us being guided by the truth. And ultimately like he knows everything about us. And so if we can just rely on what he's telling us is true about us, about the world, about what he intends for our lives, like what his purpose is for our lives. If we can trust that, and be directed by that instead of what we're feeling, we're going to be on a much better track again, directed towards health, which Enneagram is like this tiny little piece of like, what can help you be more focused on God with everything that you do. Um, it's not like the be all end all, but it's such a cool Avenue again, for that realization of, Oh, this is why I do this. And this is why I get frustrated with my husband about this. And, and I can understand why, like, you know, there's, there's unhealthy things in my life and why there's things I really excel in. And it lets you work on certain areas, capitalize on others. And I think when, again, you just have that perspective of how can I use this to keep my life on track with what God wants for me uh, or follow what he wants for me. If I don't quite know where it's going or how this is going to work out or how it, you know, how this is making me better. Cause it's really hard. If you can trust that, And again, use tools along the way for me, the Enneagram was just the first thing, like every single personal development book I've read since then, every podcast episode I've listened to, I have this different perspective on now because I understand myself a little bit better when I read the Bible. And when I'm reading about different people in the Bible, when I'm just, when I'm plugged into God, I can understand more about myself too, because of just using that tool that one time, I don't honestly don't know that much about the Enneagram outside of you know, what I've learned about myself through it. And then I just kind of moved on to focus on other things, focus on God, continuing to focus on him. But when you allow that to happen and you're vulnerable with yourself about who you are and you're like, okay, I can, I can be a little difficult person to be around when I'm this way. Um, you know, I'm being very generic in how I speak because we're all so different, but 
I think when you allow yourself to be vulnerable in that, it just gives you so much more room to grow and expand and do new things and believe new things about yourself that weren't there before or heal from things. Like you said, um, I played volleyball growing up. That's what I played in college. And, um, I played for a really, really good program, a travel program in high school. And the, the coaches were tough. I mean, in the greatest way, they, a lot of them spurred you on. Almost everyone went on to play in college, uh, lots of division one players. And so super cool experience that I got to have and, you know, growth that I got to experience within volleyball. But, um, I had an experience there where I felt, and I, <laughs> I, was, I was talking to my therapist about this. I don't even know if it was, um, what it felt like to me, but my experience of my lived experience of that season that I played, um, I felt like there was a lot of verbal abuse going on. Not, and that's like such a heavy term to use, but I felt very not seen talked down to. And part of that's because of my, the way I am designed. I just take things very critically, even constructive criticism. I have yeah. to like, I have to guard my mind with how I'm taking that because if I don't, I can take it really personally. And I took, a, I was about 16 years old that year or 17. I was 17. I had a lot of, like, I took a lot personally. That's a big year of development just in all the ways. And it really affected me years down the road and my confidence on the court. Um, because I just felt very insecure in my mm. abilities to play volleyball, even though like all these things around me were proving differently. I played a division one school. I started some of the time, like I, there was so much going on around me that was proving that different. But mm. to me, because of that, a, honestly, it wasn't even all season. It was probably like a dozen times here and there where I got, it probably made a mistake that was worthy of, you know, being yelled at in a sense, but the way I experienced it because of the way God designed me. And because I was kind of on an unhealthy track, I wasn't a Christian at that point. So I didn't know my true identity. I didn't know what God said about me, but because of that experience, it created a lot of self-doubt and self-criticism that kind of compounded. And I have been in the process since I could finally put those pieces together. Oh, because of the way God designed me and that I could thrive in, if I used this part of my personality, my way of thinking, my motives, if I use that in a way to honor him and continue to grow into who he really created me to be, instead of giving into this experience that happened like a deck over a decade ago and continuing, allowing that to bring me down, make me critical, make self-critical, make me more nervous around what mm -hmm. I'm actually capable of doing. It depends. Like I have the choice of what I'm going to give into and if I choose to continue letting that one experience guide my whole life and my confidence and my courage to do new things, if I allow that to happen, I'm not honoring God in that. And I, I know that now I can put the pieces together. So it's a decision. Once you can like put words to what happened in the past and how it's affecting you now, like you said, it's a pre-decision. Like you have to decide from that point on, okay, every time I experience this thought or this feeling comes up because of something I experienced in the past, but I can realize now how it's affecting me. I have like, if I decide to give into that, it is a choice. And I, I talk about that a lot on my podcast, because again, mindset's everything. It literally, if you don't fix it, you can't change, but that yeah. whole once, once something I, I like to tell moms that that first thought that comes into your mind, you cannot control it. Like whatever that first initial thought is, whether it's 
anxious or frustrated or angry or sad or nervous, like in any situation, the initial thought you have, the initial feeling you have, you can't really control. Like that is innate. That's part of how you were designed. That's part of your past experiences. So for me, a lot of that initial, a lot of those initial thoughts are self-doubt, which people are probably like, what is she serious? Like, yeah, like I really am. A lot of those are self-doubt. A lot of them are why I'm like really frustrated or really tired. I'm very quick to anger. So I have to be very Mm. careful to take my thoughts captive because I know that I am control of that next thought. And I think that's something we miss and don't realize often is that first thought that comes in, like give yourself grace with that. It is okay. If your initial thought in any situation is something you don't want it to be, but what you do with that thought, what comes next is in complete control of you. You have complete control over that and you have to choose one way or the other. And so if you're choosing to entertain that thought and continue to go down an anxious path, continue to go down a frustrated path, continuing to go down this path of self-doubt, this path of self-pity, this path of, I hate my body, whatever it is. If you continue to go down that path, it's a choice. If you continue on a different trajectory, if you say, Whoa, like, and, and I think I can say this now because I've used these tools, this Enneagram tool, all these personal development books I've read since then, all the things I, everything I consume, I'm like, okay, how does this apply to me? And how can I use it to again, honor God more with my life and how I live and spur my children on and help my husband live, you know, in a way that honors God too. When I have that moment, I I've only been able to do that and really be in control of that second thought, not have as much self-doubt because I was open to how God designed me and learning more about that. But we have that choice again, when that first thought comes in to do something different with it, to say, I know that's not true to combat it with scripture, to combat it with experiences that you, that like every single time I was, had all this doubt on the volleyball court. If I had known all the stuff I know now, I could have combated those thoughts with, but I'm here on a division one volleyball court. Like I, I earned my place here. I worked for this. I'm, I'm here and I'm able and, but I couldn't speak that over myself at the time. Cause I didn't know all of this about myself and how the past was affecting me. But once you can unlock that, once you can figure those things out and start putting the puzzle pieces together, you do have that ability to make that choice with, with that initial thought, what you're going to do with it, what's going to come next. And I don't know if I talk about that enough on my podcast, how it does take that transition from like, I tell all the moms you have to do something one way or the other. You have the initial thought, what are you going to do with it? What's coming next? Mm. But you can't necessarily make the better choice. That's going to be good for you. If you've never learned where that initial thought came from. And so I think that's the biggest thing with getting to know more about yourself and how God made you is it allows you to connect the past with who you are now and why you're thinking the way you do, you know, what, what your motives are, what motivates you to want what you want, think the way you do. If you don't know those things, you really can't make that choice. You're not empowered to, but once you do, you got to make that choice one way or the other. Then you're on to something, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. I just took so many stinking notes because you brought so many great points um, into my line of thought around this. And I just want to touch on a couple things and I want to just affirm a lot of what you just said. Number one, I can totally understand how, you know, if anybody knows anything about the Enneagram, and I know that you know this about yourself, but I want to also like, as 
someone who maybe is a listener that wants to delve more into the Enneagram to like help use it as a tool. That's what it is. It's a tool. It's a tool. Like so many other great things out there. It's not an end all be all. It's not a, what this tool says is above what God says. It's a tool. It's a tool designed to help us understand ourselves more. And I think for me, it really helped me to understand and connect the dots to like relational challenges that I had had in the past with like friends or coworkers or whatever, and realizing like, oh, wow, this is how I act when I'm in an unhealthy space. And these are the things that trigger me. And the things that trigger me sometimes are brought out by people who, again, this is how they were created. So it actually gave me a lot more empathy and compassion for understanding other people and why they reacted the way that they did and why they had beliefs that they did based on their own personal experiences that really sometimes I knew nothing about. The reason why criticism and why the language, and, and let's use just the word, let's just use the word critic in general. The reason why that hit you especially hard for you is because Enneagram ones are known to have the loudest self-critic out of any of the types. And so you're constantly criticizing and questioning your own worth and your own abilities. So you become really like hurt and defensive when you're being accused or like it's being recognized by others. You feel very exposed, I think, because you've already been harshly criticized by yourself, like to a ridiculous degree approaching people that are that are like that it's not to say like oh they're just so sensitive like i hate when people say like oh they're just so sensitive because you really don't know someone's yeah. personal experiences and what you're triggering you know like you may have my aunt uses the example all the time like anything that you've gone through is like a visual bruise and depending on how healed you are or where you're at with yourself and your own personal journey it's like someone hitting that bruise and like triggering you in a particular way and then it going from like the the outside to the inside very quickly. So I love that a lot of the things that you shared that I want to just touch on, and then I'll end with a couple other questions here, but not letting those thoughts take root, validating that original thought so that you can get to a point of of staying curious about it and connecting the dot, not letting it get to a place where you're from a psychological standpoint, because I talk a lot about those because I'm like very into the brain and how the brain works all the time. So I I go down that. I like, I'm so obsessive about it. Like I, as an ADD person, I like hyper-focus on anything having to do with like understanding the brain. And so from that psychological standpoint, one of the things that I learned to help me understand and build this foundation of belief of like, this is not something wrong with me. This is just how my brain works. And how can I work with my brain and not with against my brain? When you're reinforcing the bad thoughts or the bad apple type of behaviors and thought patterns, you're creating and reinforcing that neural pathway over and over and over again. So exactly like what you said, if you have a thought that is not serving you, that would be along the lines of being more of a fixed mindset thought. When you have that thought, am I operating in a way where I am comparing myself to others, where I'm immediately putting myself down, I'm reinforcing this thought that I have. When people say like these definitive things set in stone, like I'm not good at, I'm not good at this. Oh, I'll give you one. I I don't think I can do it. (laughs) Yeah. So I said for years, I'm not a runner. I don't run. I hate running. I ran 48 miles in 48 hours, like a couple months ago. So we know how that changed, but that was for me. I mean, decades, probably two and a half decades of a limiting belief. And Mm. honestly, I changed that over time, but, uh, a year and a half after I said that the last time, a year and a half after that, I did an Ironman triathlon. So it's like, 
Yeah. Go ahead with your example. I'm not a runner. So your brain, yeah. So your brain, literally, when we say those things, kind of what I talk about, and a lot of times what I teach is like, when you say those things in your brain, the more that you have that same reinforced thought and you're thinking it and you're saying it, you're reinforcing on a psychological level, the neural pathway and strength of that belief. And so what are you going to do? They actually say that you notice it. So if you're saying like, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at running, I'm not a runner. One of the things that, um, that I realized newly becoming pregnant. And then I realized I had been saying to myself that I didn't even realize was I would always use the phrase. Um, I have a low pain tolerance. (laughs) I would, I would just say that. And then literally God kind of convicted me one day. Like I was standing in the shower one day, which is where I have apparently all of like my, like insane. (laughs) It's like, cause I can't do anything else. I'm like standing in the shower and God's like, all right, now I've got your attention. Click, click, click. So I'm standing in the shower the one day And I was literally thinking about how I'm going to freaking birth a human out of my freaking, sorry for the language here, like freaking badge hole. And I was like, okay, how the freaking heck am I going to do that? It's going to freaking kill. And then I was like, God literally convicted me. And he was like, why do you think you have a low pain tolerance? Like it it literally started with a question of like, well, why do you think you have a low pain tolerance? And I sat there and thought about it for a second. I don't actually know that that's true. Yeah. And then I sat there and like actually started to really get curious about it. Like, why would I think that? Is it because when I stub my toe, I've cried? Like, okay, that's one freaking example. But like, have I actually been under? Have I had a major surgery? No. Have I had any like major traumatic like physical experience? No. I've freaking gone through trauma of being abused and come to the other side of that. I think we sometimes just diminish and forget so many of these moments where we just like to get into this, like, oh, I don't, I don't. And I was just saying like, oh, I don't have a high pain tolerance. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the basis for that? Like, is that truth or is just, is that just how I feel? Or is that how I felt in one isolated incident? Mm -hmm. And then I repeated it over and over and over again to make sense of what was happening. Yeah. So if you're someone saying like, I'm not good at this, you actually shift, you notice it, you pause, and now you change and you add language on top of it. Because you can't just like say, oh, that's not true. Because it obviously you believe that it is true. You've repeated it for a long time now. Mm-hmm. So they actually say that you're supposed to say, I'm not good at this yet. And then you actually put in what they call growth mindset priming, which are like these words like grow, progress, improve over time, develop or become. So these are like some of the words that they call growth mindset priming. And you repeat something over and over and over again. And the more times that you do it and the more times that you're rewiring your neural pathway, the more automatic it becomes to actually building that growth mindset. It doesn't just change over 24 hours. of just like, you've decided like, oh, I want it to change. That's years and years and years of trauma and past experiences and you looking through your lens of your own inadequacies and where maybe you have not stretched yourself to a new level of belief. So it's going to be very uncomfortable. And so I think that when you can say, I'm not good at this yet, but every single day that I'm working on it, I'm becoming or I'm progressing into a stronger version of myself. So that's how we kind of create and focus on progress rather than giving ourselves like this pass or fail scenario every single time that we try to accomplish something or every single time that we try to hit a goal or stretch ourselves to a new dimension. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I mean, I think back to that season, I said, I'm not a runner and I did like a 5k with some friends. And then a few months later, I signed up for a sprint triathlon, which like takes an hour. They're really short, short races. And 
after I finished that sprint triathlon, that's when I was like, I'm gonna do an Ironman. That sounds super fun. And that's like, there's a wide gap between those two lengths of races, about 120 mile gap between the two, like distance wise. And literally every single, like from that moment where I decided that I was going to do that type of race from that moment on, it was a constant, I'm not a runner, but I'm going to go out for like a three mile run today, which is further than I've ever ran before. And like, when I went out for my first five mile run, <laughs> I love telling this story because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's the perfect example of like me being very critical of myself and having a lot of self doubt, but figuring out a way to move past that. So <laughs> I was training for like another sprint triathlon or something. And so I had a five mile run on my training program. And the furthest you run in a sprint triathlon is a 5k. So 3.1 miles. And I was running five because it was working on it and expanding my endurance. And so first time I've ever run five miles in my life at this point, I don't think I'd run more than four, which isn't that big of a difference, four to five but I was in South Carolina between school years with my family. I was like, mom, I'm going to go run five miles. I might die. So if I'm not back in about 50 to 60 minutes, cause I knew I ran at about a 10 minute pace. I'm not like, I'm not this amazing runner. I run at like a nine or 10 minute pace. That's me. <laughs> Very normal person. <laughs> but I was like, if I'm not back in an hour, call 911 and come out looking for me. Cause I'm probably dead on the side of the road. And I was like dead serious. When I said that to her, I was like, I, right, if I'm not back in an hour, please call 911. I am not surviving <laughs> this five mile run, <laughs> but it was all that self-doubt, but I still went out and did it. And guess what? I was back in 50 minutes. And that was like one notch on the ladder of breaking away from that. So like that limiting belief that I had about myself literally for like 23, 24 years of my life. And I don't even know why I thought that because I never had tried to run at the pacer test. That's probably why I thought that because I never did great on the pacer. Do you remember that in elementary school? Like a little bit. Oh man. There's probably, probably some not. listeners going, oh my gosh, I remember that horrible. I, well, guess yeah. what? No one does the pacer when they're 30 years old. Like I am like, you don't do that anymore. So why am I not a runner because of the pacer test in elementary school? Yeah. No, but I just, you're like, that- I'm not a professional runner because I failed the pacer test when I was <laughs> literally eight to 10 years old. It's fine. And like all the people that excelled at that. It sounds do- so silly. It too, does. You know what I mean? Like it does when but we like- really back it up. When you can start putting those pieces together, like, why do you tell yourself you don't work out? Why do you tell yourself you just don't eat healthy? It's probably because you grew up in a family that never ate vegetables. That's fine. But you can change that. You have complete free will to change that. God gave us free will, which is like the other piece of this puzzle. The other piece of this, like getting to know yourself better that we don't tap into. God gave us free will. Let's start like using that to our benefit and to his glory. So we can just change the, I mean, that's breaking generational curses right there. If a lot of your self limiting yeah. beliefs come from how you grew up, well then goodness, like use that free will to your advantage and start changing it. You know? Yeah. I think we so underutilize our ability to change, change the future when we're not relying so much on the past. Well, this is, and, and then using that as an excuse, like, well, this is how I was brought up. Yeah. Well, this is how my parents were. Okay. We have so much access to so much more now. There's honestly no excuse. There really isn't because anything that you desire to want to change, you have unlimited access available to you, but you have to realize that you are in control of making that change. You didn't just go from 
I'm not a runner to, well, now I am a runner, right? (laughs) What built your belief each time was establishing those realistic wins. And when I say quote unquote realistic, it was like, they didn't seem realistic until you went out there and you took imperfect action Mm-hmm. to take the first step to actually build the belief in the first place. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's really misses missing today is you're talking to people and they drastically want to change their situation. And they're so desperate. I don't just want this year to be different. This year has to be different. Well, then are you willing to do something different? Yeah. That's really the hard truth that it comes to. Yes. You do have to like make a decision and then do something, but it's, it's, and I think, <laughs> I call myself the tough love mom, but a lot of what I teach, I'm like, but I'm going to give you some grace to realize why it's hard for you to do this. Because when you can realize that, then you can kind of face a head on and go, well, it's hard, but I know why. And so now I can do it. So the reason it can be so difficult. And I just like geek out over this stuff. I'm sure you do too. You probably already know this thing, but when you're you're like doing something for the first time, when I ran, went and ran that 5k for the first time, when I did a triathlon for the first time, all these things, when you do them for the first time, if it's like you take, you never eat salad in your life. And you're like, I'm going to start eating some salads and just like get more veggies. When you like pour that salad into a bowl and take the first bite, all of that is the hardest time it will be for you to do that action because you are getting over this hump of activation energy. And so this is like all sciencey and I don't know that much about science, but I do under, I do know this, that when a chemical reaction starts, when they put chemicals together that make reactions, I don't know what they are, but when they do, it needs activation energy to start the reaction. And that is the most energy it will use the entire, the entire length of that chemical reaction. And it is like exponentially higher than any of the rest of the energy needed for that chemical reaction. So basically when you're doing something for the first time, it's going to take way more mental energy, way more determination. If you want to use the word motivation, whatever, it's going to take way more of that decision energy. You saying, I'm going to do this and it's going to be hard and I don't want to do it. And I don't feel like it, but I'm doing it. It takes, that is when it will take the most amount of energy for you to do that thing, to follow through on that action. And all the times after that, it'll get a little bit easier, but you just have to know that it is the hardest to do it the first time. But once you do, it gets a little bit easier every single time. Will it, will it kind of waver? It's kind of like a roller coaster where it'll, it'll get a little bit harder, but it'll never be higher than that first point in the roller coaster where you, where you drop down a lot. So I think it's good to know that because it is really hard. And like, there's no sugar coating, any of that, but you can do it. So do it, get over that hump of that activation energy, and then just ride the rest of it, the rest of the way. And you'll know you did the hardest thing already. You already did the hardest part. Yeah. And it's celebrating just that first action, that getting out of bed that, you know, like I talk a lot about habit stacking. I love what you said, because that really is it. It's like that alarm goes off no matter whether you're going to the gym, whether you feel like it, it's like, I love Mel Robbins when she says, do like the five, four, three, two, one, and then go. I love that because that's really what it is. It's like you decide in those first five to 10 seconds of being away or, you know, right before you're going to take that first action that you're talking about, you will be all up in your head convincing yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't because I don't have time or then I got to drop the kids off and then I have this going on or I'm overwhelmed today or I'm tired today or I have a headache today. You will literally find whatever excuse it is that you're looking for So you better be really careful that you know how to redirect yourself and what your pre-decision is going to be based on commitment um, in the time that you set it in when you made that commitment, not your temporary feelings that you're feeling at the moment. So 
Liz, I am so grateful for this time. I just came up within the past couple seconds, just this fun thing to kind of end our call today, which is going to be a fast five. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. Fast five questions. So in as little words as possible, I'm not going to like fire you and like cancel you if, if it's over a certain amount of words, but I'm going <laughs> to ask you five questions. And it's the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm oh, probably going to give you an anxiety attack. Oh right man. Now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's start with an easy one. Okay. What is your favorite guilty pleasure? Oh, uh, chocolate and peanut butter, anything dark chocolate uh, and peanut butter though. Milk too. is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, okay. Number two, what is the most powerful self-development book or books? If there's multiple that you want to tell us about. Okay. I'm going to take the easy way out on this question. And I have a, uh, a podcast episode where I went through the best books that I read and I like gave them a rating and a quick summary. It's a, I forgot what episode number it is. I will send it to you so you can, yeah, like, I'll put it in the show the description. Um, but it's got a huge list. I think the ones that come to mind that are really transformative for me are can't hurt me by David Goggins. Clearly I'm a big fan. I feel like, are you in David Goggins like fan club? Oh, big time. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my shirt. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't. I might have David awesome. shirt right now. It sounds like I'm obsessed, but really like you're always uh, Yeah. I've never said this like publicly before, but I feel led to be like the um clean version of David Goggins for moms, but like the Liz mm-hmm. Henderson, the tough love mom for moms, because I don't feel like there's that voice out there that's saying, Yeah, motherhood's hard, but like get through it, do it, yeah, do the hard things do because you are thing. capable. Um, I come from a different viewpoint than he does, but we have similar messages. Um, mine's just like clean and not explicit and a little more like relatable to moms. Um, that's kind of how I feel. It's what I feel led to do, but that can't hurt me by David Goggins. Um, I can't think of that's okay. We'll link it in the show notes. I'm really putting you on the spot here. So yeah. (laughs) Uh, okay. Tell us something we don't want to hear. Well, I think I just said it. Like m- there are lots of things and I'm, I'm speaking to mom specifically because I do that all day, but in life in general, there are things that are hard. Absolutely. But you can do it. Like you can do the things that are hard. If you're constantly giving in, you're choosing that when you're giving into things that are hard and you're not doing it, you're not falling through. That's a choice. You made that choice. That's fine. It's in the past. Make a different one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Linda Tupin would say you are where you are based on the choices you made or the choices you allowed other people to make for you. Oh, True. that one burns. It burns yeah. so bad. I, it's one of the ones I go back to all the time, but yeah. not making, not making a choice is a choice is a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funny slash embarrassing nickname. <laughs> <laughs> My husband calls me Finny. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's, it was a progression of nicknames. <laughs> oh, okay. And then last one is famous slash favorite words to live by that really align with who you are and your mission. Okay. My dad had, I'm showing Justine right now on our zoom, but, um, my dad had this paperweight on his desk. He worked from home in his home office growing up. I always went in there at the end of the day. Cause he worked from like sunup to sundown in that home office. Um, but I always walked in there and played with this paperweight and he gave it to me a few years ago. Um, getting emotional, but it says, <laughs> so fitting. It says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And I've lived by that my whole life. Um, I was kind of an underdog in the volleyball world and got myself, like I put my name out there to play volleyball at division one. I wanted that, like I went for it, all the physical accomplishments I've done in my life, like 
it was all this. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And now becoming a Christian, like with God, you win, you always win, whether it's the outcome you planned or not. And so it means even more now, but this paperweight, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not so fail? Cute. You're going to have to like take a picture with that and we'll use that for some, <laughs> some sort of a podcast content or something. Perfect. So. Liz, I am so grateful for this time with you. Um, it's always just so much fun. I always learn so much and we just have great conversation and I'm just incredibly grateful for the woman that you are and just wanted to honor you with that, with your ability to be vulnerable and courageous. I know that that is like really stretching yourself different to a different place, but that is the type of woman that you are leading by example to show other people what's possible. And I really admire that in you share with us how people can find you as we close out today. I want to make sure that that's added. (laughs) So the podcast that you can hear me on a couple times a week is the tough love mom podcast. It's everywhere. Um, the website is the toughlovemom.com. So blog posts are up there about every episode. And anyways, if you want to work with me and then on Instagram, I'm Mrs. Liz Henderson. I love being up in my stories, but, um, yeah, that's where you'll find me. You can kind of get a, get to know me a little better there just as a everything else outside of podcasting and the topics I speak on. So yeah, those are the three places. Thank you so much for this, Justine. It was an amazing conversation. I feel like we teach almost like some of the stuff you were saying, you were saying, like, that's what I teach. Yes. I know. So, right. So yeah. Good. It's so it's like, we're like simpatico, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a big I love it. For me. <laughs> I, that's, it's a new one. I don't really know where it came from. <laughs> Google that. Maybe the Holy spirit. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, she's so stinking fun. You guys, you have to go following her story. She always makes me laugh. I'm always like, okay, what's Liz doing? What's Liz doing? I'm always popping in there. Just so fun to be around and so much great wisdom and so applicable to your life. So thanks again for being her friend. And we're going to definitely have you back at a certain point, but I know that this is going to bless a whole lot of people, including our mamas out there. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Before you go, thank you for spending this time with me on the Tough Love Mom podcast. If this episode encouraged you in any way, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a review, letting me know how the show has impacted you. Then send this episode to another mom friend or take a screenshot, post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me on this journey to impact thousands of moms. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you, sister. Until next time, get after it.